Amen. All right. Well, let's go ahead and take our Bible and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number six. And continue on with our. There we go. All in series. And uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter number six. We're going to start by reading verses one through eight. And then we're going to look at a lot of the rest of the verses in chapter six and several in chapter number seven as we go through this message. Um, at the end of the message or at the end of the service, we are going to be having our quarterly business meeting. Um, and I, I do believe that that'll be a pretty uh, straightforward, quick meeting, uh, famous last words. Um, but I, I do believe it will be. Um, so keep that in mind. Don't panic too much about the time. Um, but let's, let's um, somebody once told me, hey, we don't go to church to go home. You know, if that's your whole purpose about being in church, when are we going to get to go home? Uh, maybe we're at church for the wrong reason. Um, so let's be here and get what God has for us tonight. And uh, I'm going to be mindful of the time. Uh, that doesn't mean much, but I am going to be mindful of it as we uh, as, as I go through this message. I, um, so let's uh, stand together for the reading of God's word, Acts chapter number six. And we're going to start at verse number one, read down through verse number eight, and we'll get right into it tonight. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and uh, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch whom they set before the apostles. When they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. And let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful for the word of God tonight, and thank you for um, how it highlights different individuals and we can learn from that, and I pray, Lord, that would happen tonight. We would learn from the life of Stephen, and we would um, implement these attributes and characteristics into our life as we desire also to be all in for you. And uh, God, I pray that you would uh, guide and direct during this time and, 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 and give freedom of speech here and, and help me to say what you want me to and to not say what you don't want me to. I just pray, Lord, you'd bless this time of the preaching and, and reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. So the series we're, we started a little while ago called All In is just an encouragement for us to be 100% committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of the consequences, that we're all in, come what may. And we have seen several individuals who are like that. We took some time to study the first message, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, a couple who were not 
you know, pastors or missionaries per se in the, uh, the full-time sense of the word, but they were still all in for the Lord and just encouragement for all of us. This isn't just for the pastors. This isn't just for the missionaries uh, to be all in. This is for every Christian to be all in for the Lord. And so we saw that with Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, last week, we looked at Barnabas and how he was all in for the Lord. Remember how sacrificial and generous he was to the Lord's work and how he uh, was compassionate towards the Lord's worker and, and uh, how he uh, was gracious to uh, his nephew, John Mark, and giving him a second chance. And, and, uh, and he was all in. And even though there was a, a moment in his life where he veered a little bit away from uh, truth, uh, there in Galatians chapter number two, as it's recorded, uh, we, we see that as, as believers, we, we don't have to be perfect in order to be all in. I mean, I, I, I think that there's areas of weakness that we all have in our life. And, and that's not a, a, you know, to discourage us. I think it's to say, well, look, even though I'm not perfect, I still can be all in for the Lord. And I still ought to strive for that in my life. Well, tonight we come to a man that um, he's really kind of this bright and shining light that, uh, that, that, that you see maybe in the, in the sky, a, a shooting star, that you see him for a little while and then he vanishes away. And, and that's kind of what uh, happens here because you see him highlighted in chapter 6. And then chapter 7, he preaches a very long sermon, uh, which, amen, one of my favorite Bible, story, Bible characters right here. He was a long-winded preacher. Amen on that. By the way, Paul was too. He preached all the way up until midnight. And uh, if you remember that, Eutychus was sitting up in the rafters and he was uh, he got kind of drowsy. And so he fell asleep and fell down and died. And uh, he was resurrected. So I, I like Stephen and Paul uh, because I'm in good company here. So I have uh, freedom now to preach till midnight. Um, so that's uh, great. I'm just kidding. But here, Stephen is just a little bit of a, of a shooting star. We see him for a brief time, and he's bright and shining. And then, and then at the end of chapter number seven, he dies. And that's a little bit of a spoil alert, although most of us know that. And we're going to just kind of walk through some aspects of his life that show us that Stephen was all in for the Lord. And so with that in mind, let's jump into these uh, four, four quick thoughts here about Stephen. First of all, he had godly character. He had godly character. And we see this in verse number three when, uh, again, what was happening, and I mentioned this, I, re I referenced this on Wednesday night as we talked about one of the roles and responsibilities of a pastor is to be a man of prayer, to be a, a man who studies the word of God. Um, so what was happening and the, the church was exploding and, and their membership was growing leaps and bounds. And as a result, drama started happening within the church. And uh, you think drama is something that happens just today. Well, it happened in the early first century as well. Because in verse number one, it says, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. And so the, the, the Gentile believers uh, and the widows that were among them were seeming to be neglected. Um, it, it, and so they started to talk amongst each other and said, well, I guess in order to get ministry around here, you have to be a Jewish believer. And so that started to kind of spread through the church and it was starting to become a division aspect. Uh, you know, they kind of probably started making snide remarks to the apostles and saying, 
Um, so I guess, uh, I guess if, if my name is not Jewish, we're not going to get any ministry or attention. And so it came up, there was this murmuring of the Grecians, and so the 12 apostles got together and they called, um, and they called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, hey, uh, we need to minister to these ladies, but if, if we do it, then what we're not going to do is we're not going to be spending the appropriate amount of time studying to feed the flock of God. So we want to find some men um, to serve these tables and to help this uh, situation. But it wasn't just any men. The Bible says very specifically in verse number three that they said, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. And so we know that these seven that get mentioned in verse number five were of honest report. They had godly character. They had a reputation, a good report. They, everybody kind of knew them to be good men in the church, uh, ones who had a godly character. And then we continue on here. And so verse number five, it says, the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And then if you go down to verse number eight, here's more about his character. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, let me just stop and say this. What is your reputation in the church? How do people, when people think of your name, what do they think of? Do they think that you're a godly, godly individual? If a scenario like this happened in our church and we said, we gathered everybody together and said, let's, let's find the seven Seven men who are of honest report, would your name be mentioned? And you say, no, because I'm a woman. <laughs> well, if we said, we're looking for seven individuals in our church who have a honest report, would your name be listed among them? I hope the answer is yes. That should be something that we're all striving to have a good reputation. But the way we have good reputation is... What Stephen had, he had more than just a reputation. He had godly character. And that's, when you have godly character, then that's going to end up causing you to have a good reputation, to be of good report. Now, Proverbs 22 and verse number one says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. And uh, really, here Solomon is saying it's way better to have a good reputation than it is to be super rich and nobody can trust you and nobody likes you and nobody wants to be around you. But it's way better to be poor and have this good reputation that everybody says, hey, this is a good individual. They, they're trustworthy. They, they love the Lord and, and uh, they want to do what's right. They're ethical in their, in their dealings. But the only way to develop a good reputation is to have good character. Uh, John Wooden, and obviously he's not the Lord at all, but he had some wisdom for sure. And here's what he said. He was the former coach of the UCLA Bruins basketball team, which uh, I am a uh, North Carolina Tar Heels fan. I pick them every time March comes around uh, to win the tournament, even if they're barely even in the tournament. Um, I pick them to win. But um, but I do like John Wooden, and um, I actually had a, a friend that I know who is in Southern California, who I served with in Southern California, who got to meet John Wooden, and it was an extreme John Wooden fan. 
Anyway, John Wooden said this, be more concerned with your character than with your reputation. Your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. And I I believe that, again, when you work on your character and you do right, even when no one's watching, it will eventually turn out to be, uh, it'll it'll lead to a good uh, character. And your good character, your character, whatever it is, will eventually shape your reputation. So if it's a tarnished character, it's going to eventually shape your reputation to be tarnished and, and not what it should be and not what you want it to be. But if your character is good and godly, it's going to lead to a good reputation. And uh, I believe that here Stephen had a godly character, which led to him being a man of honest report. So what about his character do we see in this passage? Very quickly here, first of all, he was full of faith. He was full of faith. It says it a couple times here. Well, it says it for sure in verse number five, the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. See, he believed in the Lord, and he believed that God was able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think, and we Talked a little bit about that this morning and in our message on prayer. And, and Stephen was one who had great faith in the Lord and he trusted God was going to take care of him. Verse number eight con- continues this thought, Stephen, full of faith. Um, so he was a man full of faith and he developed this trust in the Lord, knowing that God was able to take care of him, knowing that God was good, even in spite of difficulty and Stephen faced tremendous difficulty at the end of chapter number seven, and yet his faith in the Lord did not waver because he was a man full of faith. He was a man full of faith. He was just not a man of faith. You know, a lot of times when you're talking to somebody out in the community and and you, you talk about, you know, hey, are you a Christian? And they're like, oh yeah, I'm a man of faith. No, no, here Stephen wasn't just a man of faith. He was a man full of faith. So are you full of faith? Do you fully trust the Lord? Do you fully trust the Lord to take care of you every step of the way? Stephen was one who was full of faith. Secondly, he was full of the Holy Ghost. It says it three different times in these two chapters that he was full of the Holy Ghost. Verse number three, here the apostle said, Look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost. So we want to make sure that they're uh, filled with the Spirit of God. In verse number five, it says, the saying pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. So he was, he fit the requirements there. And then if you jump over to chapter seven and verse number 55, and we're going to be in this passage here in a few minutes, but um, it says here, But he, verse 55, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven. So he was full of the Holy Ghost. Now, back in that day, not everybody was full of the Holy Ghost um, because the Holy Ghost didn't indwell every believer um, right away in the book of Acts. But now, after the book of Acts, uh, in our day and age, the way, it, the, way, the way it happens is every person who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, that same moment, the Holy Ghost comes and dwells within and, 
indwells each and every believer at the moment of salvation. That's what happens. But there's also a command, though, that Paul gives the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5, when he says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. See, there's a difference between being indwelt by the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. And uh, how can we be full of the Spirit? See, we're all in automatically as believers, the moment of our salvation, we're automatically indwelt by the Spirit. But we're not automatically filled with the Spirit. Uh, so the challenge for us and the instruction and command for us is to be filled with the Spirit. He says, be not drunk with wine. And obviously, uh, we know that uh, some of the alcoholic beverages that are out there are also referred to as spirits, little s. You maybe have seen that at um, a, a liquor store. They'll say, um, I can't remember, but they'll say, and spirits. Um, it, it's interesting that that's what they use to describe these uh, alcoholic drinks. So he's saying, don't be drunk with those spirits, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit and be under his control, under his influence, and allow him to lead and guide you rather than being controlled by some other type of substance. And uh, we could take a moment here and really talk about the importance of not drinking alcohol, but that's for a different message. The encouragement here, though, is to be filled with the Spirit, to be and if we're going to be filled with the Spirit, we got to be empty of ourselves and our desires and our wants. And we see that in the life of Stephen, especially in chapter 7, as he lets it fly, lets a bold, very courageous sermon go, and, and, and trusting God with the results. He was filled with the Spirit. And that's what it says about him in, 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 in verse number 55 of chapter 7. He says, but he being full of the Holy Ghost... we." We know that he was because of the fact he wasn't thinking about his own safety. He was thinking about what his purpose was in that moment. He was full of the Holy Ghost. Are you full of the Holy Ghost? Are you filled with the Spirit? We know he had godly character. Well, how do we know that? Well, because he was full of faith. He was full of the Holy Ghost. Uh, thirdly, he was full of wisdom. He was full of wisdom. Verse number three, again, says... <clears throat> Look, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report. They need to have good, good character and a good reputation. They need to be full of the Holy Ghost, and they need to be full of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So he had to be full of wisdom. But then verse number 10 tells us um, that they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. So Stephen was man full of wisdom. Now, of course, we think of being, someone being full of wisdom. We think of the Lord Jesus, don't we? And how he, when, when remember when he, his mom and dad lost him? When, when you lose Jesus, it's a bad day. Um, so Mary and Joseph are walking away from their uh, time in Jerusalem, and they're walking back to Nazareth, and, and both of them think that one has the other. And uh, I'm not really all that critical of Mary and Joseph because we may or may not have ever done that a time or two since being here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. There was one day, one Sunday, where we both thought that the other one had faith. And uh, we um, get home and we're eating and we have no 
doesn't even dawn on us that our daughter is not home. We think she's probably in the bathroom or whatever, but none of us even think about the fact that Faith's not there until Brother Blake calls me and says, do you, uh, you missing something? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we have your daughter, Faith. No way. And uh, so we're not super hypercritical uh, since some of those moments uh, of Mary and Joseph. But they were walking away, and uh, they come to find Jesus, and there he is in the temple and, and uh, doing all those things. And one of the things that is said about him is that he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. So from the age of 12 all the way down through when he started his public ministry, one of the things that he was growing in and establishing in his life was wisdom. And of course, he is the ultimate example and source of wisdom himself being that he was and is God. But um, but certainly wisdom is something that uh, we need to develop in our life. And, and we see it displayed in the life of Stephen so well because as he preaches this sermon in chapter number seven, and we're not going to go into, uh, we're not going to examine that verse by verse. Don't worry, that'll take a long, long time. And it would be, it's worthy of our time, just not for this message. Um, but ultimately he had gained knowledge and he knew how to use that knowledge for the Lord's sake. And so that's what really wisdom is. It's not just knowledge, it's knowing how to use it for the Lord. And knowing how to use it for righteousness. So what happened with Stephen is he developed a deep understanding of the history of Israel and used that in his sermon in chapter 7 to show how on two previous occasions, Israel had rejected saviors, uh, little s, whom God had raised up to deliver them. And he highlighted Joseph and Moses in those scenarios. And uh, we, we know that he had developed wisdom that he was able to then use to uh, try to uh, encourage people regarding the truth. Now, how can we be filled with wisdom in our lives? Well, it comes from two ways, the pr two primary ways, and there's other things too. Experience comes into play too, but um, here, here's primarily where it comes from. It comes from prayer to God. James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. So God promises to answer this prayer uh, for wisdom. And so if you need to be filled with wisdom like Stephen was, well, you got to pray to God. So it comes from prayer to God, but then it also comes from the precepts of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 98, he said, Though thou, through thy commandments, had made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. So for those who are in the Word of God and, and have a close relationship with the Word of God, they spend time in it every day. They study it. They memorize it. They meditate upon it. They love it. They live it out. That's going to naturally produce real wisdom in our life. And so... If we're going to be full of wisdom, we need to be asking God for it, but then we also need to be spending time in the precepts of God. And so another encouragement from me to you is to spend time every day in this precious book. God's love letters to us. To spend time uh, opening the scriptures and letting God speak to you. 
learning about him, learning about his ways, learning about his goodness in our life, learning about some of the warnings that we can watch out for, and learning all of these things that will help us develop wisdom so that we too can be full of wisdom. Stephen had a godly character, and how do we know that? Because he was full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom. Thirdly, he was full of power, or fourthly, he was full of power. Verse number eight of chapter number six says this, Stephen, full of faith and power, uh, did, great, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, the mirac- wonders and miracles that he did are not something that we're probably going to be able to do in our day and age. Because the book of Acts is a transitional book, and some of the things that took place in there don't necessarily take place in our era, our age. And one of the things is doing wonders and miracles. I'm not able to go and, and do miracles. I can't go into a hospital and go and say, be healed and people will be healed. I wish I had the ability to do that, but I don't. God has ceased that particular gift. Well, Stephen had that, and uh, he was filled with power and did great wonders and miracles among the people, but that wasn't the only thing that he used God's power for. It was also to deliver a message, And, and you and I have a message to give to the people in our lives. And God has promised his power for us to do that. If you go back to Acts chapter, excuse me, Acts chapter number one, real quickly here, Acts chapter number one, and we'll be back in just a second, but we'll just take a quick field trip over here to Acts chapter one, verse number eight. Here Jesus says, ye shall, but ye shall receive, what's the next word? Power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. See, here Jesus promised that he would grant his power uh, to these disciples, these apostles, these believers, and it wasn't power to do necessarily only just great wonders and miracles. Ultimately, the power from God was for them to be witnesses so that they would have the ability to stand and uh, declare truth and declare the message of salvation to people around them. And God's power, when we talk about God's power, that's what it's for in our lives. It's not so that we can go do some great, great things and people will go and pat us on the back and think we're all Mr. Wonderful. No, it's, it's for the purpose of us being his witnesses. But you shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. And so we see that even in Stephen's life. I mean, yes, he did wonders and miracles among the people, but ultimately God's power enabled him to speak with great boldness the sermon that he preached in chapter number 7. So he had godly character. How do we know that? Well, he was full of power, full of the Holy Ghost. He was full of wisdom. He was full of faith. May we endeavor to have the same godly character in our lives. He was all in because he had godly character. Secondly, he had a good cause. He had a good cause. Um, He accepted the office and the role of being one of the first deacons. Now, we know what he's kind of most known for. He was most known for preaching the sermon in chapter number 7. 
and being the first martyr. But before he ever did that, I'm guessing he was heavily involved in serving tables and ministering to widows and ministering to people who couldn't do much for him. And so his cause was simply serving in the church as a servant. Is that your cause here tonight? Do you have the same cause that Stephen had to serve in the local church as a servant? Well, I want to serve in the church just so long as I don't have to do such and such. Just as long as I get to do such and such. That's not really the mentality of a servant. Because back in those days, servants weren't like, well, I'll only do this. I don't, you know, they didn't have a I don't do windows mentality. Now, as an Apple's, you, Apple user, I don't do windows. But that's a different situation. Okay, there's my dad joke for the day. Um, but here, Stephen wasn't like, well, there's, I am going to only be preaching because I'm really good at preaching. And I'm only going to do these things. No, he was willing to do whatever. And look, we just need to, in our church, have people who are willing to do whatever to get the job done, to see the Lord's work continue. If it means going and cleaning a toilet, so be it. Let me do it. Where's the brush? Uh, if it means uh, sweeping the floor, where's the broom? Let me do it. If it means uh, going in the nursery, well, where's the, where's the clothespin for my nose so I can change diapers, you know? Um, you know, what, whatever needs to be done, I'm willing to do it. And uh, that's what Stephen was. He had a good cause. He was willing to serve in the church, but he also was willing to communicate the truth with those who needed to hear it, regardless of the consequences. He's willing to preach the gospel, even if it meant his life. As I think about Stephen having a good cause, I think about David, uh, young David, when he was sent by his dad to go to battle and, you know, DoorDash some bread and cheese, and he brings it to his brothers, and, and there he is, and he's kind of saying, what, what in the world's going on? And they go through that whole, they explain what's happening, and, and, then G, and then David said, is there not a cause? He's like, somebody needs to do something because there's a big cause here. Our, our God is being defied, de defied by this wicked man here and somebody needs to have the courage to go up against him and is there not a cause i was thinking about this and the the worldly crowd in our culture today they have a cause don't they and they're fighting for it tooth and nail trying to drive it down everybody's throat they have a cause and they're willing to put their heart into it I mean, they're, they, they're, they have causes from the very outright weird causes to the very wicked causes, and they're willing to just put their whole heart into it. But just like Stephen, we have the right cause, the cause for truth and right. Are you willing to make that your cause? Are you willing to serve in the church? Are you willing to share the truth to get the gospel? around the corner, around the world. Stephen had a good cause. And he was all in for that cause as well. 
So we see he was all in because he had godly character. He had a good cause. Thirdly, he had great courage. He had great courage. Let's pick it up in verse number 8 of chapter number 6, and let's let the Word of God do the preaching here. It says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and of them of Sicilia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Now, he didn't. Um, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses. So they hired, hired liars and set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we had heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looks, looking steadfastly on him. Notice this. This is, a, this is an outstanding detail in the life of Stephen. They saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. That's powerful. They, they didn't see someone who was upset with them. They didn't see someone who hated them for what they did to him. I mean, they completely mistreated him. They completely lied about him. They completely set him up. But that wasn't how he responded. They saw the face of an angel. And I think part of that goes back to the fact that he was filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. If he was filled with his self, he would have maybe lashed out and said, you bunch of liars, you're just trying to ruin me and, 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 and harm me and for no reason. I didn't do anything wrong. That wasn't his response. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He allowed it to happen. He had great courage. He faced the council and delivered the truth, even if it cost him his life. Notice, notice what happens here in chapter 7. So they get him in this place. They kind of corner him. They see his face as the face of an angel. Then verse 1 of chapter 7, then said the high priest, Are these things so? And since I know the rest of the story and what he's about to preach to them, that high priest probably shouldn't have asked him to say that. <laughs> probably, probably shouldn't have asked him to say, are these things so? Because what, what, what he did was basically give this Baptist preacher the microphone. He's like, be careful, because I'm going to let you have it. And guess what? He did. He let him have it. So he mounts the pulpit and takes the microphone in verse number two. And I'm not going to go through, obviously, the whole sermon here. But he says, men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham, and he goes on down, and I'm not going to get into this. I would encourage you to read this sermon, the longest sermon in the book of Acts, by the way. And Paul uh, preached as well, but this is the longest recorded sermon in the book of Acts. Um, and he was willing to do this. Now, I was thinking about this. If right here in, 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 in verse 1, then said the high priest, are these things so? This was the opportunity for Stephen to say, no, I, 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 I'm sorry. I mean, I, I don't want to offend anybody here tonight. I, I don't want to make anybody feel like they're less than what they should be. 
And he could have delivered a very compromising, very watered down, very sugar-coated situation, hoping that that might keep him alive. And, you know, hey, the motive would be, if I stay alive, then maybe God can continue to use my life as a witness for him later on. That wasn't Stephen's reaction. He said, I will take that microphone, and here we go. Y'all ready? Buckle your seatbelt, because we're going to go through a little history lesson here. We're going to learn about how Israel rejected the different saviors that God raised up, and ultimately, now you've raised the ultimate savior, the Lord Jesus, and you've killed him. And that's what ended up happening. If you go to the end, we'll go to the end of the sermon. I wish, you, don't you wish you could do this with me right now? Can't we just go to this end of the sermon? Wouldn't that be nice? Well, we don't have that opportunity. Well, here we go. In, uh, let, let's pick it up in verse number 51. After he kind of draws their attention to all the different things that took place in the Old Testament with um, how Israel reacted to God's um, attempts to deliver them. He says in verse number 51, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. So, now he probably didn't say it like ye stiff-necked and like a sissy la-la. I think he said it and just let him have it. Verse 52, which, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? Have they slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, capital J, capital O, referring to the Lord Jesus, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. So as he lets these verses go, the, the, these statements go from his lips, he knows they are not going to like this, but this is exactly what they need to hear. And how did they take it? Verse 54, when they heard these things, they congratulated him and thanked him for, their ser- for his sermon. No, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. They were sitting there going, this guy makes me so angry. What are you saying right now? And then, verse number 57, um, uh, let's, yeah, let's pick it up in verse 55. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of God standing, Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And that's a, that's a tremendous message. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that tonight. The fact that Jesus was standing, normally he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. But here, when one of his servants is about to be martyred for him, to give his life for the Lord's sake, he does stand. It's pretty, pretty outstanding. No pun intended. Um, verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. It was kind of like the modern day, la, 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 I can't hear you, la, 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 I don't want to hear you talk anymore. And they ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. So he had great courage. You know, Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And I believe that Stephen here was bold as a lion when he faced 
this situation. In January of 1956, Jim Elliott and four other missionaries ended up giving their lives in Ecuador in their effort to reach the Aka Indians. This fierce group was known to attack any outsider, and we spent some time a couple years ago reading through the life of Jim Elliott and his ministry. This fierce group was known to attack any outsider, but the vision for reaching them with the gospel compelled these young men to take the risk. They were courageous. Well, not long after they set up camp near the, uh, one of the villages, they were attacked by warriors. And refusing to defend their lives with force, the missionaries were killed. The news flashed around the world, and the story of courage and sacrifice challenged many to take up the missionary cause. Even today, Eliot's words live on. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, Jimmy Elliott and his missionary friends were courageous enough and willing to give up their, the comforts of home and promising careers to ultimately lay down their lives to take the gospel to those who had never heard. They, they could have fought back to defend themselves, but they chose not to. Again, Stephen could have perhaps done some things to mitigate what was about to happen to him, but instead he was courageous enough to allow it to happen. He was courageous. Uh, can I ask you, do you have the courage tonight to die for Christ? To give your life for the Lord Jesus Christ? Should he call upon you to make the ultimate sacrifice? Oh, there's a lot of men and women who sign up to put their lives on the line for the U.S. of A. And I'm thankful for that. And for those who have served in the military, thank you for your willingness to put your lives on the line for our freedom here in America. But would you be willing to do so for the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, honestly, I hope it never comes to that for any of us. I hope none of us face a Stephen scenario, but, but it may, it may in my lifetime. We're seeing our country change rapidly, and there is a potential that it could happen in my lifetime to where if I want to preach the truth, it could cost me my life. But even if it doesn't come to that for any of us, we are still called to be a living sacrifice for the Lord. See, while he may not ask us to die for him, he is asking us to have the courage to live for him in this present world. Are you willing to do that? I hope the answer is yes. May God grant us the courage that Stephen had. And one last quick thought here. Number four, he had a gracious Christ-likeness. He's about to give his life and pay the ultimate price for the Lord's sake. He has a gracious Christ-likeness because in the way this all happens, very similar to how it happened for our Savior. If you pick it up in verse number 58, it says, cast him out of the city and stoned him. So, and I, you know, I, I know we are here in Moore where there's a dispensary on every corner, and uh, we kind of get a misunderstanding of the word stoned. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with uh, going to Canabless or a place like that. Um, what happened was they would put this prisoner or whoever they were, whoever was being stoned in a deep pit, and they would take large boulders and just launch them at them. And eventually, 
enough of those stones would hit him and take his life. So that's how he died. Well, the witnesses, verse 58 says, laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. But notice verse 59, and they stoned Stephen calling upon God. And here's Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Okay, if you think back to the cross of Calvary, when Jesus was there on the cross, didn't he say something similar to that when he was on the cross? In Luke chapter 23 and verse 46, when he was there on the old rugged cross, when it says this, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. So the Lord Jesus said something similar to Stephen. But then verse number 60 goes on and says, He kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Wow. So the very last words out of the mouth of Stephen were words of forgiveness for people who completely mistreated him, who ultimately took his life for no cause at all, no right cause. And he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And again, doesn't that sound like something Jesus said when he was on the cross? Luke 23, 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He had a gracious Christ-likeness in his last moments. He was all in. He was all in. He had a gracious Christ-likeness. May we respond like Christ. Uh, remember the word Christian means little Christ. I hope that when people see you, they see Christ living in us. So Stephen was all in, and it got him killed. So as I am encouraging all of us tonight in this series to be all in for the Lord, Stephen's example and testimony isn't necessarily the best brochure for signing up to be all in. Hey, sign up to be all in because you can be like Stephen. You could be martyred. Not exactly the best advertisement for it, but um, but the story actually doesn't quite end with his death here. Now we know that he doesn't he doesn't get resurrected or anything like that, but but God used his testimony there at his death to be a testimony to someone in specifically. If we look in verse number 58, it says, And cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. First time Saul of Tarsus is mentioned in the Scriptures is right here. And Saul, of course, goes on to be the Apostle Paul. And if you go to verse number 1 of chapter number 8, it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. So the clothes of the witnesses were laid at the feet of Saul of Tarsus, and then he was consenting unto his death. Then in chapter number 9, we read these words in verse number 5. This is when Paul or Saul of Tarsus was um, on his way to Damascus to try to persecute more Christians. And there was a, uh, there was a, a light uh, that shined round about him, and he fell to the earth in verse number 4. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me, Jesus says. 
In verse 5, he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And then notice this next phrase here. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. To kick against the pricks. So my question is, what were those pricks that Saul of Tarsus was kicking against? Could it have been that the pricks, the conviction that he was feeling inside, were the sights and sounds of when Stephen was stoned? Could it have been the prayer of forgiveness offered by Stephen just before he took his last breath? Now, I believe that it was God partially used the martyrdom of Stephen to create some conviction in the heart of Paul, Saul, who would end up becoming the Apostle Paul. And he used that tragedy to bring about the conviction in the life of a very cold-hearted man. That stubborn man ended up getting saved, and he went from Saul of Tarsus to become the great Apostle Paul, whom God used to get the gospel to the known world, to establish multiple churches, and to write several books of the New Testament. And I don't know for certain that how, how much of a part Stephen's death played in the conviction of Saul. The Bible doesn't specify it, but it is interesting that his name is mentioned there when he was... Uh, he was right there when Stephen died, and he was consenting unto his death. I, I can't help but think that, that part of the pricks that he was kicking against is he just couldn't get out of his mind what Stephen was saying there before he died. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. He couldn't get that out of his mind. It haunted him. It, it, it worked over him. It is, it, it, I believe that. Now, it, it could be that, you know, we get to heaven and, and that wasn't the case. But I, I, I think at least it was the beginning of the conviction, the pricks that God was, uh, the, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit that was coming into the Apostle Paul um, or to Saul of Tarsus. At least that was the beginning of it. So this is what God can do through someone who is all in, even in his death. Stephen was all in. Are you all in for the Lord? I hope so. Let's pray together, and then we'll have a brief uh, meeting together, and uh, we'll continue on with that. Lord, thank you for the life of Stephen. Thank you for the opportunity to study his life. And Lord, there's more we could have said. Uh, we could have dissected that sermon a little bit more, but Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn from his life and be encouraged and inspired, Lord, to have godly character in our lives, to develop God, good courage and, and uh, to serve with a good cause in mind, serve in our church and get the gospel to our community. God, may you give us a Christ-likeness. Help us, Lord, to respond to difficulty and trials like Stephen did with courage and with Christ-likeness. Help us to be all in for you. In Jesus' name, amen.